0: to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 4. I want to remind you, as soon as this service concludes this evening, after the altar service, there's going to be a serving in the fellowship hall by the Golden Heirs, hamburgers, and uh, you won't want to miss that. And this will also be a blessing to the kingdom of God. I think $5 for adults, $3 for children. Is it 11 and under? Uh, 11 and under, $3. So you can't beat a deal like that. I promise you, you couldn't even go to McDonald's. And McDonald's, you don't know if you're eating real hamburger or not. Amen. At least we promise you, you're going to get your money's worth. So you'll enjoy the fellowship and the camaraderie of the people of God. Let's go over and patronize the uh, golden heirs this evening. Praise God. Matthew chapter number 4 really is an account written after the account that I read this morning in the Gospel of Luke I read about Jesus coming to the synagogue at Nazareth on the Sabbath day and standing up for to read and these are just the events previous to that this is the wilderness temptation as it's often referred to and uh, I just felt this on my heart tonight chapter number 4 and verse 1 then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth. Out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto them, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 8, And again, the devil's persistent, isn't he? The devil taketh him up into a exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. In another place it says in a moment that he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. I'm going to tell you everything this world has to offer can be seen in just a little bit. doesn't take a whole long time, does it? It said, It showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down. Notice what he said, And worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him. Then saith Jesus unto him. Get thee hence Satan for it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve then the devil leaveth him everybody say the devil leaveth him and behold angels came and ministered unto him praise the Lord now I see a couple of, for instances here in verses 10 and verses 11, it said, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then it says in verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him. And I simply want to use that as a subject title tonight, Then the devil leaveth him praise God let's lift up our hands once again and let's pray for the touch of God in the remainder of this service we need his anointing would you pray fervently with me right now raise your voice and let's praise, pray together right now God we're asking you to move and work as only you can do I'm praying God that you administer to the various needs of this congregation tonight Minister to every heart that is in this building. Encourage us as a church and strengthen us in your word. We thank you and praise you for it. In the name of Jesus, would you worship the Lord with me right now? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I love this particular story in the Scripture, and it's really more than a story. It's a very powerful event that took place between the Lord and the devil, an encounter. One could say it was a confrontation between good and bad. But I love this story because it answers a lot of questions that we have as we walk with God. First of all, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Another gospel account says that he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. There are times, and that is so indicative of the way that the Spirit works, there's times that we have to be submissive enough to be led by the Spirit, and yield to the Spirit and open our hearts to whatever the Spirit would lead us and direct us and guide us to do. But there's also times that we've got to be driven by the Spirit. We need fire on the inside and passion in our hearts to follow after the things of God. So I like the wording there. In one account, He is led by the Spirit. In another account, He is driven. There's times that we almost feel... uh, it compulsory to, to move and to react and respond to the things of God you ever been in a service on a move in a worship service and, and you just couldn't help yourself you couldn't sit there any longer Amen. You had to get on your feet. You had to worship God. You had to clap your hands. You had to lift your voice. You had to sing the song. Some way there was a demand for a response because the Spirit was moving and something drove you to worship. Something drove you to respond. Maybe it was in a service that you felt the touch of God so heavily and the anointing of God so strong, you felt like right now God could heal me or God could work a work of deliverance in my life. God could give me a miracle and something drove you to step out in faith. It was almost like you lost control. You just was driven by the Spirit. Aren't you thankful for those times when the Spirit drives us? And then there's times that we are led of the Spirit in a service and God gives us the option of rejecting and and not responding and setting back and allowing the Spirit of God to move on I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left out anytime the Spirit of God is moving. If God is directing and moving and working, I want to be slap dab in the middle of what the Lord is doing and what the Lord has for us. I want to be led by Him. I want to be directed by Him. I want Him to lead me into the places in the Spirit that He wants me to go. But the Bible tells us in our text tonight that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I realize that in some ways that's hard for us to fathom. That the possibility exists that when we go through trials, when we face opposition and resistance from the enemy, that... Uh, there are actually times when it's orchestrated and designed by God to test our character, to test our determination and our resolve to serve the Lord. Even more difficult for us to understand is the fact that God allows the devil to be used in this process. The Bible tells us that all power is of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. Even the devil's power is ordained of God. He is there to somewhat try us and to to help us in this journey to prove our relationship with God. God wants a bride that is chaste. He wants a bride that is pure, that is without spot or blemish or any such thing the scripture says. He wants a spotless bride to stand before him. Amen. A bride that has been proven their faithfulness towards the Lord. But the Bible says it very plain here that it is a necessary process that we be tried and tempted of the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Every man's work. Everybody say every man. That means nobody's exempt. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the days shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So according to this passage, fire does not destroy, it does not uh, extinguish or it does not take away from a true saint of God, but rather it distinguishes them and it declares them for what they are made of and who they are and whether or not they really have a desire to serve God. 1 Peter 1 and 7 tells us more about this. Process that I'm talking about tonight when it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. This tells us that a true believer is like gold that has been placed in the furnace that's been placed in the fire. And when we come forth, we're more pure, we're more valuable than when we first went into that circumstance, into that fiery trial that the Bible talks about. It also encourages us that whatever that we might be sent into, that God would not send us into it if he was not faithful enough to bring us out of it and to see us through it. I preached a message some years ago, and it was simply this. If you can take it, you can make it. Praise the Lord. And that's just the way it is. If you can take it, uh, and I believe we got what it takes to take it. I believe we got the Holy Ghost, which is greater than anything that we might encounter, that we might face, uh, anything that might rise its head against us. Uh, Greater is he that is within us. Come on, I still believe that scripture tonight. Than he that is in the world. Praise God. Somebody ought to clap their hands right there and worship the Lord a little bit. My trial is not going to weaken me. My trial is not going to bring me down. But my trial is going to strengthen me for the purposes of God. God is trying to make a saint out of me. God is trying to make something better out of me. God is trying to make a man of God out of me. And he's trying to make a man of God out of you. Or a woman of God out of you. And you have to endure affliction like a good soldier. He said to Timothy, the apostle Paul did. you got to endure affliction like a good soldier. You've got to continue on. you got to strive on. you got to have courage and faith to continue even in those difficult times. And we understand and we know that when God allows situations in our life, it's not to take us down, but rather it's to bring us up. Oh, yeah, you ought to respond in faith right now and say, God, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to believe. I mean, I've been misunderstanding this deal. I got this thing turned around and backwards. Uh, but I understand you're not against me. You're for me. And I'm going to come out of this. Uh, and uh, my spirit's going to be more pure. Uh, and my spirit's going to be more right. Uh, and my faith is going to be stronger. My dependence in God is going to be greater when I come out of it. Now, when I preach things like this, I, I see it in people's eyes a lot of times. I say, well, well preacher, you, you, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, but you ain't ever faced no trials. I mean, you you standing up there with a suit on, nice tie on, polished shoes, and, and everything looks like it's real good in your life. I can't imagine you've ever had to face anything quite like me. You didn't come from where I come from. You don't face the same issues and the situations that I do, as though the devil is different where you live than he is where I live. I'm going to tell you, I face the same devil you face, the same life uh, and situations that you have is the same world that I live in. It's the same situations that I live in. You know what? Uh, We all face troubles. Uh, The Bible tells us that that trials will come and offenses will come and situations will resist us. Uh, It's all to do with our attitude towards it and our faith being in God and believing Him that no matter what happens, He's going to keep me. I said he's going to keep me. He's going to be there with me that I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise uh, until that day that he comes and catches his church out of this world that God will keep me if I'll stay in the Spirit, if I'll stay prayed through in the Holy Ghost. There's nothing that can come against me that will take me down. Praise God. Not sickness, not disease, not circumstances of life, uh, not problems, uh, not even the pressures that the devil brings to bear can bring us down if we don't allow them to. If we stay strong in Jesus, uh, if we stay prayed through, uh, if we stay faithful to God, we're going to be all right. I'm feeling a little preach coming here tonight. I come to preach to somebody. You may have gotten a bad report. Sister Jessica back there got a bad report not long ago. Amen. It may have came back, but no. No. We're believing the report of the Lord. We're going to trust in God. We're going to put our faith in Him. Everything's going to be all right. And she stands here tonight with a clean bill of health. Why? Because God said it's going to be all right. Oh, I feel like just clapping my hands and praising the Lord a little bit. When you come out of it, you're going to come out better. You're going to come out stronger, and you're going to come out more valuable to the kingdom. But in this text, and I better get to my text. The Son of Man, Jesus, is being tested, and there is three different specific temptations that occur here and I want to look at them and analyze them a little closer the bible says that he came to him after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights that tells me right there the devil is not is not an honorable foe He's going to come at you at your weakest moment. He was in the wilderness with the wild beasts, the Bible said. If that wasn't bad enough, out there alone, by himself. He wasn't with the church. He wasn't with no disciples. He wasn't with anybody to encourage him. He didn't have any family around. Nobody was there. He is alone in the wilderness. The only people maybe is is some some vagrants and, and folks that are bandits and And people that don't mean well, that's the only folks that live in a place like that. And then there's the wild beasts, there's the coyotes, there's the jackals, there's everything else that is imaginable out there in that thicket, in that wilderness, and he's alone. And that's when, after 40 days, he didn't come on the first 10 days of fasting. He didn't come after 21 days. He came when he was at his weakest condition in the flesh. And what does he offer him? The very thing that he desires the most. And he comes to him with a temptation at his weakest moment. And he uses these three temptations, but I want to look at the very first one. He said to the Son of God, He said, I know that you're hungry. Command these stones to be made bread. Now, this seems irrelevant to me. It really seems like it's benign. It really wouldn't matter. It probably wouldn't do any damage to the text or anything else. If Jesus had turned these stones into bread, I mean, he'd already fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The fast was pretty much over with. If he'd have changed these stones into bread, it would have saved him a trip to the convenience store. It would have saved him having to find something to eat. And uh, we possibly would be preaching about it tonight, that he can change stones into bread. I mean, we got a miracle-working God. And it probably wouldn't have done any damage to anything, Uh, It's really, it seems like irrelevant. Had he done it, it wouldn't have been a big problem. But the Bible said he responded, Jesus did to him and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I could stay right there and preach for a little while that you don't, you don't live by the words of men. You don't live by the words of the newscaster. You don't, you don't even live by the, the words of, of politicians. But you can live, you can bank on, you can stand on the word of God. I said every word of God is true. I said every word of God is true. And then he, he doesn't stop there. Uh, He comes at it at another angle, the second temptation, which is still somewhat irrelevant to me. Uh, It seems like to me this is still benign. It doesn't matter uh, really what the outcome is. He takes him uh, into the holy city and setteth him on a high pinnacle above the temple. And uh, he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And if their hands are in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now once again, had Jesus chose to do this, it probably would not have been a big deal. We might even be preaching about it tonight how this great miracle occurred. In his flesh, he dove off of the pinnacle of the temple, but he did not perish as other men would have. Oh, but but uh, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made big a big difference. We We might have talked about it. We might have testified about it. We may have read about it with great interest in the Word of God. But would it have changed history or even the will of God? I doubt it probably would not have. But again, Jesus said in response to him, It is written again. He said, I'm going to remind you, I've already told you one time, it's written. This tells us that the greatest defense that you have the greatest weapon steel that you have. And I brought this out not too long ago that in the Christian armor that is written about in Ephesians 6 uh, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith uh, feet being shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, all of those things uh, we understand that the word of God the sword which is the word of God is our only offensive weapon. We know that the word of God is a weapon to use against the enemy. The enemy doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to have a relationship with your Bible. I said, he doesn't want you to know the scripture. He wants you to have to depend on somebody else to explain it to you. He wants you to be confused about. It. He don't want you to ever get a revelation of the power of the name of Jesus. He doesn't ever want you to get your nose in that black book and get an understanding of the power of knowing and having a revelation of who Jesus really is. That He's not Jehovah Junior, but He's God manifest in flesh. And there's power in that name. And when I invoke that name, I invoke everything that God is, every bit of power, every bit of strength when I call on the name of the Lord when I call on that name I'm calling on Jehovah Jireh. when I call on that name I'm calling on Jehovah Canoe. when I call upon that name I'm calling on everything that God is and so we understand that he said again that shall not tempt the Lord Thy God. And there's a reason why he did not fall prey to these temptations. And I'll get to that in just a moment. There's a reason why he did not yield to these temptations. But had he, at this particular moment, I don't know that it would have done any damage to this text. But we learn something here if we look at this closely. And we can see how the devil operates. His, like we we like to say, his modus operandi. He is probing. He is needling around the edges. He doesn't necessarily go for the kill at first. He doesn't go for the juggler vein at first. He doesn't really reveal what he's after or what he's going for. Here at first it seems like just benign temptations. It seems like uh, he's just hitting all the angles, trying to find uh, a certain area of weakness, and that's exactly what he's doing. He said... I'm tempting him at different angles. And I find that when we go through trials, this is the way that the devil operates. He probes around at our character. I want you to hear me tonight. He probes and tests our will and our resolve. He tries our resolve at times. And what is he doing? He's looking for an area of vulnerability, he's looking for an area of weakness. He's looking for an open flank where he can find uh, that he can get needled in there and begin to work his destruction in the lives of people. So he uses what seems on the surface as benign, irrelevant things to test our will and our resolve, to investigate what we might be susceptible to. He desires to find out what is in our nature and what is in our character. He, he isn't a mind reader. He, he doesn't have the ability to know what your thoughts are. He is he not omni, omniscient. He, he doesn't know. He, he doesn't understand the thoughts and the intents of our heart like the Scripture says that our God is able to. But, but he, he watches us, and he is a careful student of our habits and our routines and, and the way that we live our lives. And he uses this approach to find our area. A most vulnerability and the Bible gives us a perfect example of this when it talks about the story of Samson we know that Samson decided to choose for himself a wife as a young man he had grown up and he had the hand of God upon him and uh, the anointing of the Lord was there even from his birth his his mother had made a Nazarite vow and he kept this vow throughout his life and and we understand that it came to the point that he had matured enough to get married and the only problem was as he went down to the city of Timnath, the city of the Philistines, to find a wife. And that was the last place that he needed to be looking for a spouse is outside of the nation of Israel. Oh, yeah, I could preach about that a little bit here tonight, couldn't I? Amen. You need to find somebody that believes and has the same convictions and the same desires and, and believes the same thing and raised up around the same kind of apostolic folks as you are. Praise the Lord. But when it came time to choose a wife, he went down to the city of the Philistines and he looked for a wife and his mother and dad went with him on this trip and while they're away, they encountered on their travels a lion and Samson with his anointed strength slew that lion and left him there on the side of the road. And when he got to Timnath, he saw a young lady that caught his eye and uh, he really liked her and no doubt his daddy tried to talk him out of it and said hey maybe you ought to find somebody among the Israelites you know they don't worship Jehovah down here they don't worship the same God they don't live the same way as we do but I don't know what the terminology was in that day or what the vernacular was for young men but uh, maybe he said there's just something special about this girl and, uh, and uh, so I, I, I'm going to choose to marry her and so Samson insisted that this was the one. And they had the ceremony, and they were returning for, for the ceremony, rather. And, and uh, when they came back along that way, they found that carcass where that, that uh, dead lion was that some days before had roared against Samson and his family. And he had slew it, and it was left there on the side of the road. And by this time, uh, a hive of bees had come and made a honeycomb in the inside of the carcass of that dead lion. And they took some of the honey and they ate it. And he gave some to his mother and to his father. But in Judges chapter number 14, the Bible records that there was some young men that came together, some 30 young men for, I don't know, something like a celebration or a bachelor party. They came together in Timnath to celebrate. And in the midst of the party, Samson gave them a riddle to solve. And uh, he is thinking on the thoughts of this lion and this honey. And so he he yarns this riddle. And he said, I'm going to give you seven days to solve it. If you could solve it in seven days, I've got a reward for you. But if you don't solve it in seven days, you're going to have to pay me. You're going to have to bring payment to me, all of you fellas. And uh, so they, they sought to try to figure it out. It was something difficult for them to understand. And uh, after a certain period of time, they realized it wasn't going to be easy. So they said, these Philistines will go to his his, uh, his wife and we'll, we'll try to get her to tell us. And if she don't know it, then she can press upon him. I mean, this is obviously the weak link for Samson. And they said, either you tell us the meaning to this riddle or we're going to burn your father's house down and so she went to Samson and the Bible says for these seven days she wept she whined she pled she nagged she did whatever she could do to get him to tell the Bible says this because she pressed him that's the reason why now what one of you men after seven days and I know you can't say much right now but after seven days you wouldn't give in and say you know what just get off my back I'm going to tell you Come on, it's all right to smile, fellas. I understand why your wife is in this spiritual moment right here. It'd be all right for you to smile and you to relax a little bit. Wow. I'm telling you, man, you talk about shackled down. Some of you fellas need to get those shackles off your feet so you can dance. Praise God. Winston Churchill and Lady Astor during World War II had a very adversarial relationship. She once made a statement in a newspaper. She said, if Winston Churchill was my husband, I'd poison his tea. Winston Churchill was never one to be outdone. He made this reply. He said, if Lady Astor was my wife, he said, I'd drink the tea. Praise God. So finally, in a moment of weakness, after being pressed, after she would just relentlessly bombarding him she told or he told her the meaning of this riddle and she told the young men and the young men came and told Samson the answer to the riddle now we know that Samson didn't fall for their deceit but what was really going on here I'll tell you what was going on Satan was trying he was endeavoring to find a weakness in the character and in the nature of Samson and you know what? He found it. He found that if Satan or Samson rather was pressed long enough and if Samson was haggled long enough then he would give in, he would relent, he would yield. And so that's exactly the tactic that he used later when Samson lay his head in the head of the, or in the lap of Delilah. She pressed him. What is the key? What is the source of this supernatural strength? We know that you're not just like anybody else. There's something special about you. There's something that gives you this strength. We know that not a common man, not an ordinary fella could whip all these Philistines uh, with just uh, uh, the jawbone of a donkey. We, we understand that that uh, nobody uh, of ordinary man couldn't, couldn't do the things that you've done. Put the gates of gaze up on your back and carry them up up a hill that's an impossibility it couldn't be done unless there's some source to this strength Satan had discovered where his weakness was and he virtually destroyed Samson's life this weakness came back to haunt him later this same pattern that he was using Amen, early on to find out where the weakness was is what he used to destroy him he knew that if we pressed him long enough and if we we prevailed on him long enough. He's going to give in. He's going to relent. He's going to compromise his convictions. And this is exactly the pattern that he's using upon Jesus in the wilderness temptation. These first two temptations may seem benign. They may seem irrelevant. But you're going to find out in walking with God and dealing with the devil that there is no such thing as a benign temptation. There's no such thing as a relevant temptation but everything uh, the devil is planning and is scheming and is trying to find his way in to try to destroy your soul. He's trying to bring you down because eventually, eventually he's going to reveal what he's really after. He's going to reveal, he wasn't concerned about stones being turned to bread. He wasn't really concerned about whether or not angels could rescue the Lord if he dove off the the temple pinnacle he understood that that was the possibility he knew the power of God there is one thing that the devil is really after here and it's revealed in this third temptation it says again he took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will I give thee if thou will fall down and worship me, You see, he didn't care if stones were turned to bread. He didn't care if angels rescued Jesus when he dove off the, the tip of the steeple above the temple. He didn't care uh, that these things happened because really what he was after was worship. He wanted to change the dynamic of worship, and that's what the devil is really after. He's never happy. He's never satisfied as long as God's people are worshiping and feeling the liberty of the Spirit and coming into the presence of God because he knows like nobody else the effects and the power of real, true heart felt sincere I'm not talking about performance I'm not talking about sensationalism I'm not talking about a show I'm not talking about any of that but I'm talking about when somebody sincerely from their heart comes into the presence of the Lord throws their hands in the air and says God I come to worship you I come to praise you the devil knows the effects of that he knows the power of that he understands that God is moved by worship he was an in heaven as angels begin to worship God and sing songs of praise unto the Lord. He he knows he he has a first hand account and experience of being there and watching God as he is moved and satisfied by worship being given unto him. He knows how that touches the heart of God. He knows that that moves God. He knows that his presence begins to be stirred when worship and praise is given unto God. And he wants to stop it. I said he wants to cut it off. He doesn't want it to happen. Amen. He doesn't want it to take place. He doesn't want it to happen here tonight. He doesn't want anybody to break norm and get out of the protocol. And so you know what? I didn't come just to look around. I didn't come just for show tonight. I didn't come in needing any kind of encouragement or somebody to tell me that I have to. But I'm here because I love him. And I want to praise him from my heart. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to stand to my feet. I want to raise my voice because God has blessed me with the opportunity and the chance to worship Him. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. He wants to stop it, but notice Jesus' response. He said, Get thee hence Satan, for it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. Something I think, amen, in this particular story begins to stand out to me. And that is when he said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. He put a priority. I said he put a priority on worship above everything else. I love working for God. I think it's important that we work for God. I think it's important that we give service unto the Lord. I, I enjoy preaching. I enjoy, I enjoy singing. I enjoy all the other activities of the church. I'm sure there's folks here, you enjoy playing music. You enjoy getting up and singing in the choir, doing whatever. And I know that is a form of worship, but it's also service unto God. And anything we do around here, we need to do it as service unto the Lord. We're not doing it for one another necessarily. We're not necessarily doing it for anybody to pat us on the back and give us a that a boy but we're doing it because we're doing it unto the Lord and when we do it unto the Lord we're doing it with the right motivation when we do it unto the Lord we know that God will reward it when we're doing it unto the Lord we don't get a bad spirit when we're unappreciated when we do it unto the Lord we're not looking for a thank you we're not looking for some kind of reward to be given to us Uh, amen because we know we got an eternal reward we know that God sees everything we know that he keeps accurate records and he's going to take care of us And I appreciate it. And I'm thankful for folks that work. Amen. I think we need a whole lot more of it. Folks that work. Folks that put their cells out. Folks that are willing to sacrifice not just their money, their finances, but their time around the church. That are willing to work around the church. That are willing to put something into the kingdom of God. If we're going to have a great church, somebody's going to have to put some elbow grease into it. I think one of the mistakes I've made as a pastor is we hire everything done around here. Just about, amen. It'd be good for some of you to get a paintbrush in your hand and, and say, so you know what, I'm gonna I'm try to, I'm gonna try to freshen this place up a little bit. It'd be all. Right. Now we're gonna qualify who gets a paintbrush in their hand. i promise you that. Not everybody can get a paintbrush. That may not be your talent, but we're going to work within your gifts, and we can find you something to do around here. And what you do for the Lord, you need to find something that you do, whether it's standing behind a vacuum cleaner, whether it's getting a a rag and polishing the pews, whether it's, it's going around picking up trash. You ought not walk by a candy wrapper and say that's somebody else's job. Well, I'm preaching now. I said I'm preaching now. I'm not dismantling. I'm preaching because your service under the Lord is important. Praise God. You know what? Amen. You guys guys get a little quiet, and and I I get to preaching even stronger. Amen. Someday you guys are going to learn. I said, some of these days you're gonna learn. You're gonna learn, man. If we want him to breeze on by that, we're gonna to have to start responding. We're gonna to have to start worshiping God. And maybe he'll get off of that thing. But if you start bogging down a little bit, that means I need to work on that. Praise the Lord. So you're bogged down a little bit, I'll help you. We'll get the tractor out and we'll hook on with the log chain and see how far we can pull. Praise God. But when we announce churchwide outreach around here, it's almost a shame. When three people, four people, five people show up. Come on, this is service under the Lord. The same folks that don't show up is the same folks that say, man, I want the church to grow. I want to see revival. I'm going to th- tell you what, you don't want revival if you're not willing to show up every once in a while. We, don't, we just have one church-wide outreach per month. We don't have a whole lot more going on. And I realize we could always say we're busy and we got this going on, we got that going on. But I'm going to tell you what, you need to prioritize and make up your mind. I'm going to give some service to the house of God. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to be a witness. It'd be all right if when we announce something around here as far as a special get-together. If it pertains to you, you need to show up. Come on, we got young marriage. We got singles. We got used-to-be marriage. we We got it all. We got everything. Amen. And sometimes I feel like it's pulling eye teeth get people to show up. Praise God, have a special function. Try to pull on people to get them to show up we got young people's meetings we got all kinds of things going on there's no excuse everybody can get involved and everybody needs to get involved I said everybody needs to get involved I'm going to say it one more time until everybody gets involved everybody needs to get involved in what's going on around the house of God praise the Lord Hallelujah! You know why? In the in the Old Testament, in that wilderness journey, that they placed that tabernacle with every one of those tribes facing it. Every one of them was central to it. Every one of them was facing that that tabernacle. Why? Because that was the most important thing that was to be going on in their life. There's a lot of other things. We gotta cut wood. We gotta build fires. Uh, we gotta pitch tents. Uh, we gotta we gotta care for ourselves. We gotta gather manna. We gotta get things together. We gotta take care of our family. There's clothes to be washed. There's all kinds of repairs to be made but I'm going to tell you what still the most important thing is God still the most important thing is the things of God still the most important thing is the church hallelujah preaching tonight it's still the church it's going to if you're going to get out of this world you're going to have to be in the church I said if you're going to make the rapture he's coming back for a church not coming back your job's going to stay here brother your money's going to stay here your career's going to stay here your car, your house your clothes it's all going to be left here moth and dust is going to bring them to corruption the bible said they'll melt with a fervent heat but there's one thing that's going to live forever that's your soul at the end of the day we're not going to look back and say man man what accomplishment yeah I lined the wall with accomplishments I got all kinds of trophies in sports or I got all kinds of accomplishments and certificates on the job we're not going to look at it like that it's going to be what you laid up on the other side the Bible said when you work for God and you serve the Lord you're laying up treasures amen is that what it says He said we're we're striving for an incorruptible crown things of this world is going to corrode they're going to be you buy a new car tonight; it may be slick, shiny, and nice, smell like new car. I mean, be a be a happy day for you. But I'm gonna tell you something, man. I I bought them before. You you go on down the road a little while, and you just about get the itch to thinking. But but this this car is getting kind of old. I I kind of need a different car. You ever felt like that? Well, this car ain't bad. It's still going. I mean, it's still running. You, you're changing the oil and putting gas in. It. It's still operating. It's still a good car. It still gets you where you want to go. But I'm going to tell you, the news is going to wear off on things of this world. You can get a new house, and it may be nice and comfortable and all of that, And I thank God for his blessings and him prospering and him being good to us and putting a roof over our head. We ought to thank God for all of those things. We ought to be appreciative for everything. The Bible said in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. If you got a roof over your head, clothes on your back, and food in your cupboards, and a car that got you here tonight, you got a lot to be thankful for. If you don't believe that, just come and go with me to Africa. And I'll show you folks that have to walk eight hours to get to church. But when they get there, I don't have to do like I'm doing tonight. I don't have to encourage nobody to get on their feet. I don't have to tell anybody to sing the song. I don't have to get anybody up to get them shout. Now they come to church worshiping and praising God. Service to God is what's going to mean the most to you in the end. Oh, I better hurry tonight. He said, Them o- Him only shalt thou serve. But notice what comes before service is worship. Worship always comes before service. I want to be a good pastor. I want to do the right things. I-, I want to be a good preacher. I want to be a good teacher of the Word of God. I want to do my best to do my best in the day-to-day administration of the church but not at the expense of being a worshiper because before he called me to preach he called me to be a worshiper before he called you to be a Sunday school teacher a board member before he called you to be any of those things he called you to be a worshiper matter of fact you don't qualify for any of those things if you're not a worshiper I said you don't qualify for any of those things unless you're a worshiper I remember a evangelist friend of mine. I wish I was brave enough to do this. He, he said he, he was preaching one night. He looked out. He said, I, "I want I want the church staff to stand up," and they stood up. He said, "You're fired." I said I didn't know I had the authority to do that. He said, "I want I want all the Sunday school teachers to stand up." He said, "You're fired." I thought, man, you know how hard it is. I know that passed a little while and I realized realize how hard it is to get Sunday school teachers and you're firing them. You're fired. He said all the musicians stand up. You're fired. He said, till you get renewed in the Holy Ghost and become a worshiper, you, you ain't going to qualify for anything else. I'm telling you, it may be hard to choke, but it's still the truth. Worship comes first. There's a priority on worship in the house of God. Before you're anything else, you need to be a worshiper. I said, before you're anything else, you need to be a worshiper. Come on, I want you to think about it tonight. When you got in this thing, did you get in it with being pious? Did you get in it with, uh, with all the fine in the world? Did you get in this church and showed up and said, I'm saying? Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So pious, so put together, everything in place. Never got one Bobby Pin out of whack never scratched or scuffed your shoes, never got wrinkled up or wrinkled or any of the above. Yet nothing and not one hair got out of place. I mean it was all you were still just as manicured as when you walked in the house. No, when you got the Holy Ghost, uh, you didn't care how many tears you had to cry. You didn't care how many kleenexes you went through. You weren't much concerned about anything else but getting the attention of God. It wasn't about getting the attention of somebody else. It wasn't coming to church and and, and worrying about what somebody else thought about you, what they said, amen, or or, or what their opinion was. You weren't in it for public opinion. You was in it to get God's attention. You was there to give him glory. He said, You should worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. Worship comes before everything else. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. And there's an attack on Pentecostal worship today. It really is. Tone it down, preacher. Oh, we could win. I preached at one place one night. Well, it was, it was more than one night. It felt like eternity. I mean, when I talk about dead, folks, I'm talking about dead. Libraries have more life than this church had. I mean, it was, and I don't want to get too specific, you'll guess where it is, but it was dead. It was dead. He said, you know, you might notice that people don't respond to you. You're preaching like maybe you're used to. He said, there's a reason for that. He said, I've told our folks, he was real sophisticated, i told our folks that if we're going to reach our city, there'll be no running the aisles. There'll be no leaping, and uh, we'll moderately clap our hands and sing our songs, and we'll we'll be a little more sophisticated and educated, because that's the way that the world is moving. And I thought, you know what, brother? By the looks of things, you're losing, folks, not gaining. And in your fine city here, people can go to about any street corner and find out what you're talking about, and then get what? you say they're looking for anywhere and you cannot compete with the dollars that those folks has got. You can't compete with the programs and the facilities that those people's got. And I messed up one night and got to preaching about David running through a troop. And leaping over a wall. And I said, I wonder if somebody, and and before I even realized it, I said, somebody ought to get out of that aisle and run the aisle. And before the young people thought about it, they were already out of the aisle running and worshiping God. And I could see the, the preacher up there, poor thing, wagging his head, wondering what I was doing to his traditional church. I'm telling you tonight, I'm not interested in dead Pentecost that's not what we come into Pentecost in that's not what kind of church that I got baptized in that's not what kind of church I got the Holy Ghost in that's not what saved me That's not what I'm interested in. If that's what you're interested in, so be it. Amen. I'm not here to fuss with you. But as long as I'm the pastor of this church, we're going to be a worship at church. We're going to be a praise at church. And just come to serve you notice. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, we're going to have a liberty of the spirit. Somebody's going to dance before the Lord. We're going to put a priority on praise. Praise. Woo. We're going to put a priority on worship around here. That's what the devil wants to stop. I said, this is what the devil wants to stop. But I got news for him. It's not just going to be bygone days that we talk about Holy Ghost Church. It's not going to be something that we're going to talk about historically around here. But we're going to have present-day worship. We're going to have present-day holy rollers. Present-day aisle runners. Present-day leapers. Present-day shouters. Present-day dancers. Present-day singers. Present-day hand clappers. Go ahead and stand with me right now. Man, the only problem is I'm getting older. But I find something interesting here, the conclusion of this story. The Bible says that when he said that, notice what happened when Jesus took a stand against the attack on worship this ought to be revelatory to somebody here tonight you've been going through it you've been feeling the oppression of the devil the Bible says then only then the devil leaveth him and angels of heaven came and ministered to him virtue that had gone out of him during that attack when he took a stand and said no we're going to worship the Bible said the devil said that's it I can't stay around. I, I can't I can't continue. To fight and resist. If you want a breakthrough to come, if if you want God to move, if you want a work of the Holy Ghost to be wrought in your life, you're not gonna get it just patty caking along. You're not gonna get it acquiescing to the devil. You're not gonna get it there with your arms crossed and a bad attitude and a bad spirit. But if you're gonna get a breakthrough, it's gonna be because it's gonna be because you made up your mind. I'm taking a stand to worship God. I'm taking a stand. I may not feel like it, but I'm taking a stand. I, I may not have a reason to in the Flesh, but I'm taking a stand. I may not feel like it in my physical body but I'm taking a stand. I may have got a bad report but I'm taking a stand and I'm going to worship God. And the Bible said then the devil leaveth here. I think the devil's going to have to leave some families and some homes and this church and some people that he's been fighting when there's somebody in this place that'll get out of their pew and start worshiping God. Start praising the Lord. Start magnifying Jesus right now. Come on, you want the supernatural? You want angels to come down to this house? Start praising God. Start worshiping the King of kings. Start giving him glory. The devil leaveth him. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We're almost there tonight. I said we're almost there. I feel breakthrough coming for somebody. I feel help coming for somebody. I feel angels are going to come and be dispatched in this service to help somebody and restore somebody's virtue in this house. If you'll just worship God. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Musicians, would you come, please? (laughs) Devil, we're not going to start worship, stop worshiping, just because we've had a bad experience, just because you've been on our back, just because the burdens of life have become heavy. Just because you've been on the attack we're not going to stop now we've just began we've just began we're going to worship God with all of our heart I'm going to dance all over this house I'm gonna praise my Come on, how about Has anybody got a little worship left in your heart tonight? So I'm going to dance my troubles away. I'm going to dance all over this house. house. raise my tears to the walls. the walls are going to come down. I know there's victory beyond my There's victory. So I'm there's gonna victory. dance my troubles away. I don't know. All I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling house. you to do I'm something. Worship Jesus God with all your heart. Down. I know this victory beyond my praise. Don't let your worship be suppressed. Don't let your worship go down. All thou shalt worship all praise praise my all my thou the Lord thy God, and he only shalt thou serve. Get away from me, devil. Lay off I'm of I'm me, devil. Get back, I'm devil.